In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't have a fancy introduction for you today, but in the interest of making this message clear, I've titled this sermon, Life in Christ, A Journey from Heartbreak to Heartbreak. And the idea here is going to be that when we look at our Old Testament passage today and our epistle readings, we actually encounter two different instances of men who express heartbreak, don't they? Distress. And in both cases, what is it that's led to that anguish? If we boil it down, ultimately it's sin, disobedience, lostness. So this first heartbreak that we see with Jonah, it's anguish for personal sin, isn't it? But the second heartbreak expressed by Paul in our Romans reading is a heartbreak for others who are still lost in sin. And so as we look at these two types of broken hearts, I want to stress that the goal here is not primarily uh, achieving some short-term emotional frenzy that dissipates when we walk out the door. But my goal for you today, and I pray that the Lord would work this, is that we would develop and sustain a deep posture, a way of living for Christ that is shaped by a heart broken in repentance and a heart broken for those who are lost. So as you flip in your service booklet to Jonah or your Bibles, here's this first heartbreak, and I'll shorten it down again for you. The first heartbreak, heartbreak number one, anguish over personal sin. We're going to call this a posture of remembering that we are lowly fish people apart from God. And that's going to become a little more clear here in a minute. Anguish over personal sin. A posture of remembering that we are lowly fish people apart from God. So why do we even have a Jonah chapter 2 in the first place? Right? Because in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah disobeyed God. We know Jonah was a prophet and he was a man of God. And yet, we're hearing him in Jonah chapter 2 say, beginning in verse 3, he says, you cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He continues in four. I am driven away from your sight. In five, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. In six, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Why is this happening to Jonah? Now, we know, we've seen, in, uh, like Job and in David, bad things happen to people. Okay, sometimes it's not their fault. But that's not the case with Jonah today. Jonah finds himself in the depths of the waters. And imagine for a minute this image of judgment, right? It's unmistakable. It's literally being as dead as you can be in the ancient imagination to be drowning out in the middle of that water. Jonah has gone far from God. And yet, this moment of heartbreak, I just want you guys to get this. This moment of anguish when you, when you come to grips with your sin, it's a gift. That is a gift from God. At the height of disobedience, 
Jonah acknowledges his sin before God because after verse 6 comes verse 7 and he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And uh, now, do you think Jonah had forgotten about God? The whole point of this was God was running, Jonah was running away from God. To remember God was to remember that even in my sin, God, if I repent, you are merciful, you forgive me. And so here's the great thing about this heartbreak. And this is also why it's important for us today. In this first heartbreak, Jonah is moved to repentance. His disobedience led to chastening. Chastening leads to heartbreak. Heartbreak brings repentance, we hope. And what does repentance bring? Salvation. God sent a fish when Jonah cried out and remembered the Lord. Now, let's be clear. Jonah, though, he's not saved by faith in repentance. He's saved by his faith in God as merciful and as the author of salvation. Um, Here's what I'm trying to say. Um, And this is going to show my age. And it's also going to show you how long it's been since I've paid attention to sports, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a sports analogy. I've got to go all the way back to the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s. All right? Um, I loved watching the Bulls in the 90s. Uh, Honestly, you had Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc, Luke Longley, and when Dennis Rodman showed up, he was a hoot. Okay? But you you all know... I'm leaving out a name, right? There's a name I'm leaving out when we talk about the 1990s Bulls. Michael Jordan. Statistically, Michael Jordan was the one that carried that team. In fact, in between two sets of three championships, there's one year where there's no championship. And guess who was absent? Michael decided to go play baseball. Okay? But negatively here, even as God delivered Jonah into the belly of this fish, I want us to get this, He's saying, Jonah, you're not carrying the team. He says, I am. Even the method of God's delivering Jonah, we're going to see, is telling him, you're not special in your own right. What I'm doing for you, in fact, is no different than what I want to do for the Ninevites. You need to see you two are in the same boat. So, I want them, God is saying, to know me. I want them to repent so I can save them. Now, if you're like me, you probably heard in Sunday school how Jonah, having come out of the belly of the fish, would have gotten the attention of the Ninevites because they worshipped Dagon, who every Sunday school teacher knows was the fish god. Well, it's only half, it's sort of half right, okay? But I think when we get this straight, it's really super cool. The word Dagon is connected with the word fish. In Hebrew, not in the language that the Assyrians spoke, in the language that Jonah spoke. And uh, so, in the Assyrians, it was actually derived from the word for wheat. Uh, they thought of Dagon as the father of all gods, the god of abundance. It was, it was Hebrews, because of their language, where it was a temptation uh, to look at the Ninevites and have an inside joke or just play on words. To them, they're the fish god people. Okay? So the sign of Jonah, though, when God sends a fish to save him, there's a little bit of a message here of humility. 
Three days in the belly of this fish is assigned to God's people first, not to the Ninevites. And of course, today we know what? Three, three days in the belly of a fish points to who? Christ. Amen. But even there and then in Jonah's time, there's a special message. And God is saying, I am saving you. Don't forget that. Apart from me, you are a fish person. That Hebrew language, it makes him think fish when he hears a Dagon. God has drawn him awful close to that parallel. Do you guys see that? And so the reality that I want us to come away with as we focus on this first heartbreak is, we are all fish people. <laughs> Apart from God's salvation given to us in Christ. And this is something that we have to come back to every day. And so that means, as we understand ourselves every day, we look out at the lost, well, without that mindset, we're tempted to what? To caricature, dehumanize them. And I don't know if it's because I've gotten older, or I spent six years in the army, or I'm just crotchety by nature, or what. But it is, it is increasingly easy for me uh, to, to dehumanize and characterize people out there that are not like me. Um... But just like Jonah back then, God's message for us and for me every day is quit writing those souls off and get to work. I got a job for you to do. He says, remember, apart from me, you are no different. So with the arrival of Jesus Christ, there can be no more excuses for us who claim to be God's children. We confess that Jesus is true God from true God, begotten, not made. That he was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and made man. We'll say that today. Or as Paul in Philippians chapter 2 says, the Lord Jesus has the form of God and the form of man. The reason is because God has done what we couldn't do. And so we must maintain a posture of repentance like Jonah. A heartbreak over our personal sin. And the Anglican tradition is actually really great for this. I mean, just a shameless plug for who we are as Anglicans. We're rooted in these historic rhythms, right? We confess our sins every day. We have a chance to do this, morning and evening. We confess our sins before God and each other in response to God's Word every Lord's Day, every Sunday, before we come and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's why we say, we like to say, remember your baptism. Because, as the baptismal liturgy reminds us, it says in the words of the liturgy, God is giving us something that by our own nature we cannot have. In other words, we are fish people. The more we live into that posture, the more grateful we become. But it doesn't stop there. It's really easy to get into this gratefulness, I've got my golden ticket posture. But you see, just as God broke Jonah's heart so he could save him, the way God saved Jonah reminded Jonah that God's heart breaks even for Jonah's enemies. They are no different to God. They are people that God loves. You see, the more we appreciate our lostness and our salvation, the more our hearts should begin to break for others. And we see this on display where? In our Romans passage. So as you go ahead and flip in your service book, or your Bibles to Romans 9. 
Let's just recap this first heartbreak. I think you guys probably got it. But this first heartbreak is one of anguish over our personal sin. It's a posture of remembering that we are fish people apart from God. And that should lead us to heartbreak number two. A heart broken for those who are still lost. And as we're about to take a look at Romans 9, 1-5, do you remember Paul had his own Jonah moment, didn't he? Think about where Paul started out. In one respect, Paul was sort of like Jonah, but on steroids, right? He wasn't just some guy trying to let his enemies go without the truth and let them founder on their own. He was waging war on his enemies. And what was sad was Paul had it all wrong. In Acts 9, Jesus himself confronts Paul and he forced to walk around in darkness for three days. Sort of like being in the belly of a fish. But thank God for Paul's Jonah moment, right? That led to repentance, which led to faith in Christ and his salvation. And from there, what has the Spirit done with Paul? He grew Paul into the man who wrote his magnum opus, the epistle to the Romans. And in the middle of this, this epistle, even though he had just been teaching in chapter 7 against Judaism, he comes back in chapter 9, verses 2 through 3, and what does he say? He lays his heart out. I have great sorrow, he says, and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. But no, he wishes he could. But he can't, can he? Because Paul knows deeply his own inability to save himself, his reliance on Christ alone. He's stuck from, from being a recipient of God's grace, looking across and saying, I wish I could do this for you, but I can't. See, Paul has learned the lesson that he's going to say that the law intended to teach. In a sense, it's the same lesson that Jonah learned, right? Right before God sent that fish to save him. It's the lesson of heartbreak over personal sin and the need for God to do the saving. And uh, in case we're wondering if that is exactly what's motivating Paul, you can flip back to Romans chapter 7. He says clearly, he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. But no, this is not past tense. Paul didn't say, I didn't have. He says, this is present tense. It's an ongoing posture. I know I can't do it. He keeps coming back. So this first heartbreak, which led Paul to repentance and faith, it continued to undergird his entire life of what we call being in Christ. And this unceasing life of repentance and awareness of his dependence on God for his salvation, that led to the heart of Christ for his Jewish brethren and for the world. And that's how the first broken heart leads to the second broken heart, isn't it? When we realize who we are in light of what God has done. And the more we come to grips with that, the more it focuses us on everyone else who doesn't have what we have. That's our motivation for preaching the gospel, for sharing the gospel with our neighbors. We know what we were. We know what we are apart from the grace of God. And if you look at the Anglican Confession from uh, the 1662 prayer book, and actually some of the later prayer books. All this cool stuff in the Anglican tradition, right? It doesn't call us fish people, but it does say, 
There's a petition in the confession that says, God have mercy on us miserable offenders. We are miserable offenders. That's a good phrase. Brokenhearted over our sin, miserable offenders, but still recipients of God's grace, of salvation. That's good news. And so, because of that, we are called to be brokenhearted for the world. I'm going to share a quote. Methodist pastor, theologian, he's actually from Sri Lanka, named uh, D.T. Niles. You may not know the name, but you've probably heard the quote. He says, evangelism isn't simply one beggar telling another beggar, uh, it is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. Right? That's That's a good way of thinking of it. And it places that emphasis of evangelism on the goodness of God, not on our own efforts. It's coming from a heart of repentance and realizing what a good gift we have. But let's also remember that Jonah, he went to Nineveh after after God saved him, didn't he? And Nineveh heard the message to repent and they repented. That city represented the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people. And so I want to point out today that as we evangelize, not all the beggars out there are going to be happy for our invite. In fact, and you probably feel this, some of the beggars out there are out trying to burn the bread line down. In other words, there are enemies of Christ, and they are seeking to keep those lost, lost. But this posture of heartbreak, that's how the kingdom is going to go forward against that enemy. As it goes forward, nations will become disciples. That's what God's word says. It says we know that all enemies will be placed under the feet of Jesus Christ. That's in scripture. That's a promise. And speaking of promises, we prayed that collect earlier today, right? And while it was in older English, it still said we are praying that we may obtain what God has promised. And it's very easy to apply this to our own salvation and stop there. But don't do that this week. You see, may God use us with broken hearts of our own sin and broken hearts for those who are yet lost to carry that promise of salvation outside these doors. And as we go, may our neighborhoods and our cities be brought into the loving rule of Christ. Amen.